Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of 28 Days Later. We are here, uh, week two of our recorded in quarantine series that we're doing just for you. Um, we're here to have another virtual brunch. Um, I'm your host Sophie here as always with my co-host Hannah. Hannah, it is almost like we knew that this day was going to come and started a virtual brunch podcast just to get people like ready for being at home. We were like accidentally ahead of the game on that. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> um, how have you been since we last recorded? How is your quarantine going? Um, pretty much the same. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's still a lot of um uncertainty and uh a lot of stress. Um, but, you know, trying to come up with different things to stay positive and pass the time. I feel like I've gotten, like, pretty into cooking, um, which has been a really interesting experience for me because I never really consider myself very much of a cook. Mm -hmm. Um, definitely more of, like, a baker. Uh, but I've discovered that I'm actually pretty good at cooking, so that's actually been kind of fun for me. It's, like, an adventure in... Having to learn how to actually do that, especially the last time I cooked for myself a lot was when I was studying abroad and I still like was eating meat then. So I would just basically make different meals that were always just like one meat, one veggie and some cheese and just like mix it all together. Yeah. Um, so try to find like different things uh, and mix it up. And, and I'm a vegetarian now and have been for the last couple of years. So trying to find things to eat that are exciting for me and for my boyfriend who is not a vegetarian mm -hmm. um is pretty interesting too trying to keep us both fed and happy with our meals definitely about you? do you have like a favorite thing you've cooked so far Ooh, um that's a really good question um because like one of the first nights when this was all still very like new um and it was kind of like, well, who knows? Like, what's going to happen? Maybe this will only be for a week. Um, I made us, like, this big uh, burger dinner where I made hamburgers and, um, like, pub fries and whiskey milkshakes. Nice. Yeah, so that was really good um, and really fun because I never made burgers before or anything. Um, even though I didn't eat the meat burger, I just made one for uh, for him, but... That one was a really good one, but that also was like, well, we definitely can't eat like this every night. <laughs> right, right. Um, so I made, I've been doing salmon a couple different ways, and um, those have been pretty fun. Oh, and I made rice pilaf for the first time, and it tasted really good. So, Oh, a favorite of our dad's. Yeah, so I was really excited about that. I was like, okay, now I know how to make this. And it's really, I learned, not that hard. You just have to, like boil the rice in, um, I mean, I guess, like, normally you'd use chicken stock, but I use, like, vegetable stock, okay. um, but you would just, it's just that you boil your rice in that, in stock instead of water is kind of what gives it that extra flavor, mm -hmm. um, so I was, that was a good one for me, too, because I was like, woohoo, and I fed it to the boys that I nanny, too, which was good, because they always can use a little bit of newness in their diet, so... Well, that's really cool. That one took um, me pretty far. 
Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I've We've also been doing a lot of cooking in our house. So my boyfriend is doing a PhD program, and he actually lives uh, about two hours away during the week. Uh, for folks who don't know me personally outside of this podcast, we have been living together for the last seven years. So it's not like, oh, yeah, my boyfriend and I live separately. Uh, this is a new adjustment. Uh, we have lived together basically for almost the entirety of the time we've been dating each other. Um, so, and one of the things that I really love doing with him, but we rarely have time to do with him living so far away is cook. Uh, Jeremy and Jeremy's a vegetarian. I am not, but I mostly, I only eat chicken really when it comes to me and I only eat vegetarian at home. So we have had a lot of fun cooking new stuff, um, while we've been at home together because his, uh, semester has gone online. Mm Mm-hmm. And the recipe that I'm most excited about is uh, a recipe I got from one of our favorite websites, which is called Budget Bites, and it's uh, B-Y-T-E-S. The woman who writes Budget Bites does this really great thing where I think if you're a person who enjoys cooking a fun recipe every once in a while, but maybe you aren't like an at-home chef, it can be really annoying to find a recipe that looks really cool and then you write your grocery list and realize you're going to spend like 40 bucks on the random little things you need for this dish that you're not going to use that you don't already have. And so her whole website is sort of built around the idea that most of these dishes can be made either with general basic things you'd already have in your kitchen or things that wouldn't, won't cost a ton for you to buy. And that's cool. Yeah. We love stuff from her website. Uh, we heard about her on pop culture happy hour and the woman who plugged her on there talked about her dragon noodles, which are like really good, spicy, really plain, like basic, easy to make spicy, uh, like Asian inspired noodles that are really good. And so we make a lot of stuff from her website. She does has started in the past doing some meal prep recipes. And so when I was thinking that we were going to be stuck in the house, I was trying to find meal prep things we could make with fresh produce that we could freeze if we needed to shelter in place and not go to a grocery store. Um, that has not happened for us yet, but one of the things that, I mean, we are sheltering in place, but we can go to the store if we need to. Yeah. But one of the recipes that we tried that was delicious was a roasted Brussels sprout bowl. And so what the recipe calls for as a base is you make your own mashed potatoes. Now I have never made mashed potatoes and this was on a day that I was cooking a lot of other uh, recipes. So I got... I know I got bagged mashed potatoes um, or box mashed potatoes. And so that was our base. And Jeremy and I came to the consensus that box mashed potatoes will work just fine. If it's the base of a bowl, like it's, they're great. We did like Betty Crocker, cheddar, uh, garlic mashed potatoes, and they were amazing. But then on top of that, you put, um, you take Brussels sprouts and cut them in half. And then you take a vegetarian sausage and cut it into coins. You roast the Brussels sprouts and sausage together and put that on top of the mashed potatoes. So this recipe makes four servings. You split everything into quarters, and then you make like a honey Dijon vinaigrette that you pour over top. And it was one of the most amazing things that we've ever eaten. (laughs) And it took so very little effort and was very inexpensive. So um, that recipe was super exciting. I will link to it in our show notes because I am already thinking of when we're going to make it again. I was so excited (laughs) to eat it. Um, they've been doing these, like, uh, they're doing, like, pantry, uh, recipes, basically, on WGN, like, the Chicago Morning News. Um, they've been, there's, like, one guy who they have doing these, like, demonstrations, and it's mostly, it's almost entirely, like, canned goods. 
mm-hmm. um, that they're using to make these meals. But it's, like, so unfortunate because it's, like, they're putting in very minimal effort. And um, it's, like, not... Like, you could definitely do that and have it be very impactful and be like, wow, that looks amazing. Um, And sounds like, even though, like, you're using, like, boxed mashed potatoes, like, for that recipe, you still got, like, a really legit result. Um, But I feel like when they do it on WGN, they just, like, dump everything, like, room temperature in a bowl. (laughs) They're just like, and this one is, like, salsa with tuna fish. Like, it's just, like, so weird. It's, like, not coming together well. (laughs) It's pretty funny, though. Like, every time I'm like, oh, let's, let's see what, like, what, like, schlop they're suggesting today. That is absolutely uh, bananas. That makes me laugh. You should take some videos of those so that we can share them with our Oh, yeah. Meanwhile, I watched, um, like, an episode of Rachel Ray's show the other day um, that she was filming from home. Mm-hmm. And she used she was using a lot of, um, like, canned ingredients. And she did a really good, like, an, that was an example, obviously, because she is a chef, where she was, like, teaching you how to make it was, like, uh, how to use chickpeas three different ways. Um, nice. And, like, half her ingredients were, like, pantry items. Um, but she made some, like, really, like, gorgeous things. And I was like, this is how you do it right. <laughs> yeah, no joke. It's really funny. My uh, boyfriend's mom loves Rachel Ray and refers to her simply as Rachel. Mm-hmm. Um in conversation, which as an aside can sometimes be jarring because my uh, boyfriend's ex is also named Rachel. So sometimes my boyfriend's mom will be like, oh, yeah, something, something. And then Rachel said, and I have to be like, she means Rachel Ray. Um, <laughs> it's very funny. So um, before we get into our review for this week, Hannah and I have scheduled or decided to schedule something really exciting for you guys. And we wanted to give you a heads up so you can pencil it into your very busy uh, calendars. I say that somewhat sarcastically, but I do feel like one of the nice things or silver linings, I should say, to this situation is it does feel like people are really filling up a lot of their free time sort of chatting with family and friends, which I really like. So if this appeals to you at all and you have the time in your schedule, Hannah and I are going to do a virtual brunch uh, movie screening. We're going to do this Sunday, April 18th. We're going to start the movie at 11 a.m. Central Time. That's noon for you folks out on the East Coast. Um, And we're going to watch Lost Boys, which is one of, uh, I shouldn't speak for Hannah, but one of my favorite movies of all time. Oh, you Um, can speak for me. It's one of my favorites as well. I thought it was both of us. Yeah, it's it's just a classic. So whether you've seen this movie or not, it's going to be a really good time. Depending on what kind of interest we have and what I can finagle i'm hoping that we can maybe do like an open google hangout if not we'll probably do a a live video that y'all can watch and sort of comment along so that we can talk with you um but yeah just if you're if you're interested plan to like make yourself a bloody mary cook up whatever you want to eat for brunch and join us to watch the lost boys we'll be covering that movie the week after so if you haven't seen it or you haven't seen it in a while it's a good time to refresh yourself uh before we record on that movie a bloody mary with maximum olives yeah, for sure. And, like, maybe a little bit of edible glitter. <laughs> um, and that seems like the perfect segue, Hannah, somehow, to go from The Lost Boys to our movie for this week. Do you want to tell folks what we're talking about this week? 
Um, absolutely. Like, I was about to say absolutely, and then I was like, oh, wait, maybe I shouldn't swear, but... You're still worried about that joke I made last like, week about how we're a PG podcast? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, wait, are we? We're well, and it's like, I didn't, I got home from work not that long ago, so I'm still, like, getting back into, like, I'm in at-home-now mode where I can swear again. Right. Um, so I chose this movie because I love it, and... I really want to go back and watch it, and I have to say, having gone back and watched it, I'm, like, so, so happy I chose it. I've been, like, looking forward to, like, fangirling out about it all day. Um, so I chose Don't Look Under the Bed, the, um, 1999 Disney Channel original movie. That was one of their Halloween movies back when, uh, Disney Channel made horror movies for kids. Um, and... That actually reminds me, too, though, this weekend, I had a really good quote at one point where I was talking about, um, I think I was talking about something with how many different, like, horror, like, TV shows there were for kids, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I said to my friend, I was like, you know, that was back when kids were men. <laughs> <laughs> And, and he was like, write that down, write that down. <laughs> um, so that's, like, my my new uh, favorite quote of mine of recent months is back when kids were men. Yeah. Um, and that applies to this movie because it's back when Disney Channel made horror movies for kids. And this was actually the last uh, horror-themed movie that Disney ever made. Was it really? Mm-hmm. We'll get into it when we get into our review, but Wait, I, I read some when, really interesting is that things right? in the research. When did... When did Mom's Got a Date with a Vampire come out? Mm, let's check. We're going to take a quick Google p- break here. 2000. Was that on Disney Channel or was that a movie movie? I was on Disney Channel. Interesting. So my article lied. Okay. Hmm. Here we are. Live fact checking by the human IMDb. My it's, apologies. Well, it's qualified as a co- as a family comedy, but that one was also pretty scary. Yeah, I would definitely say that if you're going to talk about like horror themed Disney movies, that one definitely qualifies. That's yeah. like basically Lost Boys for children. <laughs> yeah, and it's got your boy Sophie Gary Giggles. Oh, believe me, I know. Yeah, they did a couple more after that because they also did one with like. Um, that was still a thing for a little while because they also did one that was like ghosts, a team of ghosts. Um, I can't remember. That one I don't but remember. I remember that one being really scary. Okay. Um, the movie I'm thinking of is called uh, The Scream Team from 2002. Oh, and wow. Okay, so that article was just like completely incorrect. Yeah, they kept doing them for a little while, but they weren't. They definitely were not as scary. Like, I mean, Go Look Under the Bed is, like, actually scary. Scream Team, I mean, it's got uh, the guy who played Tig on um, uh, Sons of Anarchy, and he's, like, this, like, unrelenting ghost that's, like, coming to... I feel like he's coming to take the main kid's, like, grandfather's soul or something. Oh, my gosh. Um, it's that's pretty so scary. Funny. But, yeah, they, they definitely, like, would still do, like, some kind of Halloween horror movie for kids every year, but definitely none as as scary as Don't Look Under the Bed. Right. So I'm sorry I really threw you off your game. Uh, for those of, the, of our listeners that haven't seen Don't Look Under the Bed, can you tell us what it's about? 
Um, yeah, so it's about um, a cast of characters with the greatest names of all time. Um, we have Francis Bacon, McAllister, Mc, I can't figure out how to say their last name. It's like McIslander. It's weird. Um, but I think it's her- McCausland. McCausland. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but her, but she's obviously named after Francis Bacon. Um, right. And she is a... She also has a brother named Darwin. So. Yeah, she has a brother named Darwin. She meets an imaginary friend named Larry Houdini, another great name. Um, and together they team up to have to like go against the boogeyman who is... I wouldn't even say wreaking havoc, just um, committing pesky crimes all over the town of Middletown. <laughs> I don't know, Hannah. I feel like turning the entire uh, pool gymnasium pool into jello would qualify as wreaking havoc. I have a question about that too, because that girl who dive who went and dove headfirst into that did she not look before she jumped into the pool? Yeah, it's very unclear, but that effect <laughs> was very cool. That was really funny how everyone's like, whoa! And it's like there's like 15 people standing around. It's like nobody noticed that the whole pool was full of jello before she jumped in. And it was red. It's not like watercolored yeah. and the consistency of jello. It's red jello. It's red jello that is like actively jiggling like jello. <laughs> right. Well, but it's only jiggling because she jumped into it. <laughs> oh, I guess that's true. <laughs> but the red, like you said, the red color should have given it away regardless. Um, but yeah, so the, the basics of the movie are the main girl teams up with an imaginary friend to take down the boogeyman, um, who is like framing her for all of these, uh, pranks, I guess. (laughs) Right, exactly. Um, so I know you sort of talked about this up top. I also remembered watching this from childhood and... I think a major reason why it got picked and why it was very memorable for you and I both is that we both had a massive crush on Larry Houdini. Oh my God. Um, I had to like, I kept writing in my notes how much I loved him and like how much I love his different outfits. And at one point, like halfway down, I was like, wait a minute, I should Google how old he is in this. (laughs) Oh, right. But he's 18. So... (laughs) It's totally fine. I guess yeah, it's that's funny okay. because the the girl that plays Frances is supposed to be fourteen, but the actress was actually twenty. Yeah, I look. I because like watching it, too. I was like, she looks much older than fourteen. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, I'm really glad that you picked this movie because I actually had this conversation with my boyfriend last night. I sort of have mostly by my own creation a reputation for being a horror fan that came to horror super late and is a huge wimp. And it's always interesting to me to remember things about my childhood that sort of uh, shake that loose a little bit. And watching this movie, I was like, I, I was totally struck by, I had not forgotten this movie, but uh, I had forgotten so many of the particulars that rewatching it, you know, I was saying to Jeremy that, I totally remember there was no point in my childhood that this movie didn't scare the crap out of me, but I loved it. Yeah. Um, So I was like, wow, I guess from a a young age, I was really, like, interested in horror. I just, I got exposed to it later. So when people that are my age talk about watching, like, Nightmare on Elm Street when they were kids, they were watching 
scarier stuff earlier than me. But clearly that, you know, the appetite for that kind of thing was there. Another really good example for me is the slasher parody episode of Boy Meets World, which was mm-hmm. my favorite episode of Boy Meets World, but it used to scare me. Like I remember when you and I shared a bedroom that used to come on sometimes syndication late at night. And um, if I was the only one awake, I would want to turn it off, but I would leave it on and then get super scared and then not sleep. You know, like I couldn't, I couldn't not watch it if it was on. And I feel like I felt that way about this movie. Yeah. It was back when kids were men, man. They, they, every single kids TV show had a horror episode. Like, do you remember the Lizzie Borden episode of Smart Guy? Yes, it was terrifying. That was a really scary one too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so just to give you a little bit of background, I'm sure some of the stuff you knew already, but this was only the second time that a Disney Channel original movie received the TV PG rating. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Disney Channel ultimately stopped airing this movie um, in reruns because parents were complaining that it was too scary. Um, People also the- complained for other reasons, too. Yeah. Yes. And we'll get into that, too. Um Halloween Town was the first movie to get a TV PG rating, which I thought you'd be very excited about. Another Hannah favorite. Um, that one I do watch every year for Halloween. Yeah. So let's get into this movie a little bit. That Luke, was, he's such a wiener. <laughs> <laughs> it was really fascinating to rewatch this as an adult because so much of this movie, you know, we've talked a little bit about the fact that this movie was scary as a kid but watching it as an adult you know a major plot point in this movie has to do with the fact that francis's younger brother darwin had leukemia and almost died and that that is when she stopped believing in her imaginary friend and when she talked darwin into no longer believing in his imaginary friend because she felt like she needed to grow up because this was too scary and something that she didn't know how to handle and the fact that that is, like, a major plot line in a kid's movie, and they're not, you know, I think sometimes you get kid's movies where they are dealing with things like death or cancer or sickness or tragedy, but it's often in kind of an oblique way. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this movie is going head first at, you know, Darwin had leukemia. Uh, there are references to the older brother, Bert, having to give bone marrow transplants and how painful and scary that is. Yeah, um, well, and even, like, I wrote at one point, um, Larry and Francis get into a fight, and he, like, he yells at her, like, you can't help me, and she's like, don't say that, that's, like, such a mean thing to say to someone, um, and she talks about, like, the feeling of helplessness when her brother was sick and she couldn't be the one to give to give her bone marrow, Um, which, like, I thought was an incredibly, yeah, like, just, like, adult, but also just, like, legit way, um, of explaining that, like, for him, like, how he he yells at her, like, you can't help me, and she's like, that's such a mean thing to say, Mm -hmm. and then, like, how she explains, like, why that's so mean, Um, Because it's also, like, that's also kind of how kids process things, too, where it's, like, that's mean. Why would you say that? And and for her to say, like, that's such a mean thing to say, like, in terms of, like, it's sort of, like, stripped bare, but but still um, really powerful, I think. And, like, that whole argument they have when 
Larry is kind of freaking out about his own um, potential transition into a boogeyman, and Francis is trying to help him. And um, I I had written down that I thought that they both uh, did a pretty good job in that scene, like for that fight, and just like for a, a dramatic fight in any Disney movie to feel um, not like super hokey is always impressive. Mm-hmm. But he also says something to her um, about how, you know, she's just going to run away like she always does or something. And she has a speech about how she was at times, like, relieved that she couldn't be the person to give him his bone marrow um, donation because she was so scared that she right. didn't think she could do it. And that, too, is, like, such a heavy um, concept, especially, like, in any capacity, but especially in a kid's movie. Right. Yeah, definitely. And it's just, it's really interesting. Uh, I think it says a lot about sort of the greater themes that are happening in this movie, that there are so many small choices around casting and performances and visuals that I want to talk about but it's it it's funny that we sort of went into this conversation backwards right like I feel like usually we end up talking about the all these bigger things and Mm -hmm. and it was fascinating watching this as an adult and seeing how at the forefront a lot of those things are and it was really stunning to sort of watch and realize, like, I had no rec- I had no recollection whatsoever of the cancer storyline until it happened. Oh, and it, oh, I was really? really taken aback by it, yeah. I remembered I remembered that that was part of it from when I was a kid. Because, um, like, I remembered that Larry was Darwin's um, imaginary friend and that Francis had told him to, like, stop believing in him. And I knew it was, like, something like that, but I didn't remember... This, like, I knew he was sick, but I didn't remember the exact specifics because I realized, right. like, as a kid, I didn't really know what that even meant to say that he had leukemia or that he needed transplants. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I was semi-aware of it, but watching it back, like, in a similar way, watching it back as, a, as an adult, I was like, wow, this is a lot. Like, they, like, that's not just, like, something that they touch on in this movie. Like, that is, like, a legit storyline throughout the movie and just the way that that affects the whole family. Because, like, even, even, like, the parents and how they handle everything when they think that, like, Francis is, like, going off the rails and, like, doing all these, like, pranks or, like, if it's a cry for attention or what. Even the parents are, like, we have to approach, like, Francis in an understanding way because we have to, like, respect, like, how she might be acting out because of what the whole family has been through. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. the whole family, ha- it's it's a centers, it's at the center of the whole family's reactions to everything. Right. Um, right, yeah. Their family has undergone a trauma, and that's still very present um, yeah, in even, their relationship. And uh, in, in the one, on the one hand, I respect the way that they... Um, illustrate that throughout the movie th- for the whole family. And then, then on the other hand, it is so, like, 1999 that the school guidance counselor is like, I've been working on a theory that you're acting out because you're angry. And, like... <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, like, just, like, so over-the-top and goofy and 
basically just being like, I'm going to write about you in a child psychology book. Like, <laughs> yeah, it is. It is in the that, face that of the child. Is a little silly. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Um, I want to talk a little bit about the some of the characters and some of the acting in this movie. And obviously, we're going to get to Fran and Larry, who are at the core of the movie. But I want to start talking a little bit about just the dynamics within her family and the performances that we get. We would obviously be remiss to not mention right up at the very tip top that day family favorite Stephen Tobolowsky is in this movie as her dad. Yes. Which, was such a delight when I saw his name in the in the credits. I got so excited, and I find uh, people who know me personally and know us personally will know that we, uh, our whole family, really really loves his no longer active podcast, The Tobolowski Files. Our dad was an adopter of that podcast long before podcasts were a very popular thing, and you still had to like download them on iTunes and then move them onto your iPod. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have I have I have a lot more appreciation I think for him as a person and an actor because of that experience and watching him in this movie as an adult who is like aware of who he is as an actor I I just think his performance is so like splendid and just made me smile that like I think the quintessential thing for me is there's this lovely gender dynamic within their family that is not what we are used to seeing in like stereotypical portrayals of a family, right? Where like he's the one that cooks, he's the one that cleans. He does appear to maybe also be the main breadwinner, but it seems like maybe he works from home. We never really see him not at home, but he is always in a, you know, button down and suspenders. That's a little confusing, but he's very um, in uh he's very in the know about the World Wide Web. I was going to say when the mom is like, your father checked the internet news. Yeah, I wrote that down too. And he answers the phone at one point and he says, if, when there's like reporters on their lawn, he's like, if you want to know anything about our family, you can check our website. Yeah, which was hysterical. <laughs> um, but my favorite, my favorite Stephen Tobolowsky moment is early on in the movie, the parents are having a conversation about how to handle Francis's behavior. And Stephen Tobolowsky is dusting with one of those like long um, dusters that's just like a big poof ball or like a, it kind of looks like a boom mic, right? And uh, he is just holding it ever so gingerly. He's a pretty tall guy and he's holding it ever so gingerly so that it just barely brushes the top of the fan as the <laughs> fan spins very slowly. And there is something about that, just that moment, that I, no joke, went back and watched him dust the fan three times because <laughs> it made me laugh how seriously he was doing it and how delicately, <laughs> like, he was just kind of like, listen. he was very much listening to his wife actively, but was also like, I have to dust this fan perfectly. <laughs> and it was very funny for me. When you saw that, was a little part of you like, this is... Jeremy in 30 years. <laughs> oh my gosh, maybe a little bit. Maybe a little bit. Yeah, there are definitely some, um, like, some gender dynamics there, like, where earlier um, Francis says, like, you took my dad's vacuum, and Larry says, your dad does the vacuuming? And then he's like, this is starting to get unbelievable. <laughs> and Right. Francis is just like, no, my dad prefers to do the cleaning. That's just, like, a thing. Um, and then they, they kind of move on. And then later, 
um, the boogeyman turns out to be a woman, and mm-hmm. their whole thing about how she keeps correcting him and saying boogie person. That was <laughs> one of the most visceral moments I had watching the movie because I remember... Don't you remember how we used to do the British y- Yes, you and I person. quoting it all the time. It's boogie person. It's boogie person. Um, so good. And while we're up here talking about gender, you have at the heart of this movie, and this was obvious, this is not necessarily uncommon in Disney Channel original movies. I think they did a pretty good job with this, especially uh, in the 90s and early 2000s, but we have at the center of this movie a really smart, grounded female protagonist who is not, there is nothing about her character that is necessarily written as being a female character, right? Like, that could have just as easily been Darwin's older brother and mm-hmm. nothing would have changed. Absolutely. And that's a really beautiful, cool thing to see watching this movie. A pretty cool, um, pretty well-rounded female character with a metal frame or wood frame bed with some form of string lights on the headboard. That, to me, is like such a staple of every single Disney thing between... Like, 1996 and 2006. It was, like, every female protagonist's bed had some kind of, like, cool, like, kitschy, like, uh, lantern lights or something, like, wrapped around their headboard. And I remember seeing that in, like, every movie and TV show and being like, I want that! That looks so cool! And people wonder why now Pinterest is full of, like, really beautiful, classy ways to use twinkle lights to hang above your bed. It's because all of the women our age grew up wanting Lizzie McGuire's bedroom, and now that we have the money, we're going to do it. Yeah, it's always, like, some kind of lights, twinkle lights on a headboard, and then, like, one of those, like, little canopies that only covers, like, a third of your bed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, and then also just a uh, little... For Hannah's, like, IMDb moment of the day. If you didn't catch that the actress who plays her mom is the uh, mom from, I think it's season one, Buffy, uh, where Amy, they find out that Amy's mom is a witch and has been, like, trading places with her. Yeah. Is this ringing any bells? Yes, 100%. I now have the buffering song about that episode stuck in my head. <laughs> so it's the same same actress as a, as a, as a mom that. once again. Just That's so awesome. uh, everyone, everyone knows. <laughs> uh, that, is, that is spectacular. Um, no, that's great. And I think, like, her performance is great. And she has, like, a really fun Midwestern accent that I really enjoyed. Yeah. Um, and I think maybe, like, some extensions, which I thought was a really kind of funny choice because these probably would have been filmed around the same time and she has really short hair um in Buffy and I and you could tell by the way her hair was styled that she had extensions in oh interesting um but I was like I wonder why like I guess like maybe they thought if she's supposed to be this like hippie midwestern mom they're like she needs to have long hair and a braid so everybody knows she's a cool mom yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> like an I just noticed that. I thought, like, huh, interesting choice. I did not notice the extensions. That's a great observation. Um, So because I think it's going to take up a chunk of our time, let's talk about Larry. Because we're going to have some thoughts, obviously. Larry in his fur coat sitting on the roof with a dog 
and like his one of his first appearances. Mm-hmm. He was wearing like red sunglasses <laughs> and a woman's fur coat. And I was like, wow, so much about my sexual orientation makes so much sense now. <laughs> I know I was going to say, so I guess uh, that's your answer. I was trying to think of what my favorite Larry outfit is. Well, either that or his cowboy outfit. Yeah, I mean, the cowboy I love thing the cowboy is outfit. pretty stellar. I love the pirate-esque outfit that he's wearing that sort of is what becomes his uh, boogeyman outfit. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of that one, too. I mean, pretty much all of it's great. It's just all really good. So many different um, outfits. Always, always some kind of, like, colorful sunglasses to go with it. Yeah, I feel like people out there who are listening and, and don't know you personally or didn't know you as a child may or may not be surprised to know that I feel like part of the reason that you were so drawn to Larry as a child is that Larry has a very similar, like, performative personality to you. (laughs) Um, I feel like there are a lot... I I was having serious flashbacks watching this of just being like, oh, yeah, this is Hannah in a nutshell. (laughs) Well, especially, like, if you take into account people who didn't know me growing up that... Pretty much any time I saw, like, a movie or something, um, within, like, the first, like, two hours of watching it, you could probably catch me hiding in my room, like, reenacting it. Yep. Um, or reenacting times. it to her siblings. <laughs> Usually in full costume. <laughs> yeah, my favorite was after we saw Pirates of the Caribbean for the first time. I don't remember how old you were, but you had to be relatively young, and you, like, perfected the Jack Sparrow kind of, like, lilty walk, <laughs> and you would just, like, walk around pretending you had, like, like kind of flailing your arm, your wrists around and leaning funny and saying weird things uh, for, it seemed like, years. Um, <laughs> you would, like, pick up the affectation of the most interesting character in any movie. Well, I actually had, like, um, like a pretty visceral memory of the scene when he's, when they're in the library... And there's, like, a bunch of kids at a table, and he does, like, all these, like, jumps and acrobatics on the table. Mm-hmm. I remember reenacting that scene in our in our old house, in our dad's old house um, in Wilmington by the fire station, um, <laughs> where Sophie and I shared a bedroom, and we had, like, our desks at one end of the room with a toy chest in the middle, and I would, like, run a across the tops of them and, like, pretend that I was doing, like, the flips and stuff from that scene and, like, reenact that whole scene, um, which I remember doing. And then, like, when I was watching it, I was like, oh, this is the one I was doing. <laughs> That's so funny. I was like, oh, okay. Um, think- also, fun fact, if you didn't remember this, but the actor who played Larry, he also was on Even Stevens, and his name mm-hmm. on that show was also Larry. Yeah, he was just born to be a Larry. He does it well. But then there was also a Larry on Lizzie McGuire, so I think, like, Disney Channel just had a thing for Larrys. For Larrys. <laughs> They're like, Larry is, like, just the biggest, hottest name right now in 1999. Right. <laughs> um... Okay, so before we sort of get into the the final act of the movie and the sort of themes that we get to in the ending, I want to talk a little bit about just some like particular film things, filmmaking things that I noticed that I really either liked or made me laugh. 
And one thing that I'm sure you also noticed right away is that this movie loves a Dutch tilt. (laughs) It feels like, and it becomes clear that they do it whenever something a little bit otherworldly is happening to sort of draw our attention to the fact that Fran has sort can sort of sense when things are off. It's often that like something in the background has come to life and is looking at her or something like that. But it got to a point where I was like, oh yeah, I could see this is like a very interesting stylistic choice. And there's a scene later on that is very well known from this movie where the doll on Francis's dresser sort of turns its head and looks at her. And as it does that, the screen, the camera tilts and we get like a heartbeat sound effect. That happens early on too. That happens in the very beginning when she's sleeping also. Yeah. And it's great because I was immediately like, oh wow, here are two like really uh trying to think of the right word of sort of stylistic choices that we're used to seeing in horror that are being employed here really effectively, right? Like Yeah. Yes, yes, this movie is supposed to be for kids and it's supposed to like kind of walk a line of being kind of spooky but real also fun. And it's really interesting, especially with the heartbeat sound effect, to sort of see that that's the thing that a kid is not going to explicitly notice, but it is going to implicitly make them feel nervous. Yeah. Know? Well, and I also thought, like, because I remembered, I remembered from when I was a kid watching it again that, like, that the boogeyman turns out to be Francis's boogie or Francis's imaginary friend that she forgot. Right. Um, and so in the beginning shot of the doll turning and looking at her, too, um, and I think they use it, like, either two or three times. They use that, like, the doll looking at her. But yeah. they also had a shot after Larry was in his cowboy outfit. They had a shot of Darwin sleeping, and there was an action figure on his bedside table that looks like Larry and is wearing a cowboy outfit. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that's actually, like, some really legit uh, foreshadowing that they put in there. It's, like, before the reveal that Larry is Darwin's imaginary friend, or was Darwin's imaginary friend. Right. Um, that both those dolls are used to, A, like, foreshadow what the, that's going to mean for the plot, but also just to sort of... Sh- also, like, demonstrate where children's imaginary friends come from, in a sense. Like, mm-hmm. that you can kind of look around the room and, and figure out where the, where the inspiration came from. Um, that was something else that I... That was something that I had also just written down was, like, a pretty well-done, like, legit horror movie type of effect there. Yeah, definitely. And sort of in that same vein, uh, I had... I remembered it as I was watching, but I think had you asked me before rewatching this movie, I would not have remembered maybe how uh, scary the transformation is when we see... A, when we see Larry slowly start turning into a boogeyman, right? His eyes are turning mm-hmm. a different color. His nails are growing out. He's just sort of starting to act less and less like himself. He's becoming more irritable. But also the transformation going backwards when Zoe goes from the boogeyman back to herself, both of those transformations, A, use really cool practical effects mm-hmm. and are just, like, very uh, scary and unsettling and sort of, like... Uh, knock you off balance a little bit and that the way those are shot and set up and the creature design of the boogeyman 
feels very reminiscent of other horror films, right? Where we're seeing a person turn into a monster and sort of lose themselves in the thing they are becoming, which I thought was really neat. Yeah. And, um, there, I, I, I had also written down that, um, the stuff, the amount of things that turn and look at her beat from behind her mm-hmm. is genuinely scary, especially like early on when she's in a, cl- in a science classroom, there's a, fucking bird that mm-hmm. not only turns to look at her but also opens its wings and I was like well that's fucking creepy <laughs> for sure for sure um all of that that they did was also really well done and really creepy and then um another sort of like classic horror movie thing that I loved was when Darwin gets pulled under the bed by the boogeyman and Francis is like, what do they want from him? And Larry delivers, like, very, um, like, like, full-on, like, terrified. He says, like, um, it wants his soul. And then he lifts up a shoe. <laughs> right. And he's and like, like, because the goo is on it. Yeah, he's like, see, because there, there's goo on it. And I laughed so hard at that, but I also was like, that was pretty good, because that was actually, like, scary for a second. Mm-hmm. And that's something that would definitely come up in a horror movie. But, like, for little kids, like, what does that even mean to, like, a right, exactly. child watching what this movie? Like, he wants his soul. Like, I feel like most kids probably don't even have a concept of, like, what a soul is, let alone, like, why a boogeyman would want it. Sure. <laughs> um, but, like, little moments like that, I was like, wow, who, like, the person who, I mean, we know, like, the person who... Uh, directed it also wrote it um but it was like it seemed clear to me that he had some understanding or uh maybe he himself was a fan um of horror in sure. s- in some way to get some of those moments like so right yeah i mean he knew what he was doing you know <laughs> um speaking of which i want to talk about the design of the boogie world once they go into it oh yeah it's just such a cool... I mean, that set, first of all, had to be so fun to be on because mm-hmm. it's just... It has a very Honey, I Shrunk the Kids vibe. It's just lots of small things that are now huge because they have been shrunk down. I have a theory that they took, like, half of the stuff from the Family Double Dare lot. I was literally <laughs> trying to say that... Be- are you saying that because of the disgusting sandwich? Yes! Yes! Uh, that was so nasty to watch as an adult. I was Ugh. like, why do you have a gross-ass sandwich under your bed? That's so disgusting. Yeah, I was like, ew. But also, like, um, I remember one time when I was little and um, we started doing ballet at the YMCA. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it was, like, when maybe when Dad told us that we were going to start doing ballet... I, like, ran up to my room and, like, packed a ballet bag. Mm-hmm. And Dad was basically like, oh, that's very sweet of you, but, like, it's not today. Like, I just wanted you to know you're signed up for ballet. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, like, I don't even know, like, however, however long later, playing in my room and going to get something out of my closet, and I opened up the closet, and it smelled so bad. And I remember uh, going on, like, a wild goose chase, tearing through my messy closet trying to figure out what smells so bad and eventually dad found the ballet bag that I had packed for myself I put an orange in it 
Oh, no. As, like, a snack. And it had been in my closet for, like, a month and a half. And it was, like, You and Ryan always messing with orange-related snacks that had gone bad. (laughs) I mean, it was, like, completely black and mushy, and it smelled like death. And then Ryan (laughs) drank the juice. That's a real deep cut for our family that's listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) At least I knew knew better than to eat it, Ryan. (laughs) (laughs) Um... So, so, yeah, I want to spend a chunk of time talking about, I think, what we've sort of come around to in discussing the entirety of this movie is that the the main, I think, theme that we see throughout the story is about kids growing up and trying to figure out when they should grow up and how to grow up and what it means to grow up. Right. And so, you know, obviously, Fran is the only person her age who can see Larry and he can, she can only see Larry because she needs him, right? He was sent there to help her. He doesn't know why. Yeah. And then we find out that he was Darwin's imaginary friend. And then we find out that she had an imaginary friend named Zoe. And when when Larry confronts her about why she told Darwin not to believe in him anymore, what she says is that she told him that he had to not believe in, in Larry anymore because learning not to be afraid is what growing up is about. And... I found that to be such an interesting thing because I think as uh, adults, I mean, relatively young adults, but adults nonetheless, I think that we are both aware of the reality that adults, being an adult does not mean that you're never scared. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would argue that the one issue I took with the movie is the way they sort of resolve that is that she learns that adults are scared sometimes too, but the way that they handle that is by pretending not to be scared because being scared isn't helpful. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, that's also not quite right, but I take your point. Yeah. Um, And so I love that we have this, this movie that is made for kids who I think in some ways maybe want to watch something scary because it makes them feel grown up, but then the thing is itself is scary you know what I mean? And the mm-hmm. movie is sort of saying, like, it's okay to be scared even when you get older. Yeah. Which I think is neat. Um, yeah. I well, want to read. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. What were you going to say? I was going to say I wanted to read you a really quick quote. I was reading a blog article and the about this movie. The blog is called a booze, B-O-O-S, slash booze, B-O-O-Z-E situation. Uh I like, I like their style. <laughs> so this uh, piece is talking about this movie specifically and says, when trying to assess why children flocked to this film, knowing full well that it was scary, I had to ask myself how they could relate. As much as kids look forward to growing up, they still have an underlying fear that they take, that they take on the more negative traits of the adults in their lives. Adults can be impatient, unreasonable, and quick to anger over things that seem trivial. Kids hope to grow up and be like Larry at the beginning of the film, selfless, caring, and overall playful and fun. The message this sends to the kids watching, you will slip up and it will be scary, but you aren't entirely lost. You can find yourself again. That is actually, um, that relates a lot, too, to the fact that the the director had said that in the initial script for the movie... Um, like, Larry and and Francis build this machine that's supposed to, like, defeat a boogeyman Mm -hmm. um, that they find in the... the, What's it called? The... 
I can't, can't remember. Le, it had such a silly name. Le de Boogie or something. Like, oh, that is the name of the book, yes. Le Livre de Boogie. Yeah. And she's like, the boogie book? Yeah. So, um, Kenneth Johnson, the director of the film, writer-director of the film, said, in the original script, Francis and Larry clipped on the temperfuge, which is the name of the machine, and it solved the problem, and the boogeyman went away. Um, but... He said later, he changed it because the hero cannot be using something outside of herself. The heroism has to come from within. And he said that's like a lesson that you learn from the movie Dumbo. Mm-hmm. Um, but he said it was important to him that Frances ultimately defeat the boogeyman by like ed- by finding something within herself. Rather than with like just a machine. I love that. Um, that's really cool. And, and I didn't, I had not read that. As you were talking... It made me think of the, and I had not made this connection until just now, I'm currently reading a book right now called A Brief History of Anxiety, Yours and Mine by Patricia Pearson. And I was reading it this morning, just a mere eight hours after uh, watching this movie. And one of the things it talks about is the way that anxiety can present itself in kids. And it sort of talked about this idea that um, kids who are afraid of the dark when they're young may be more prone to being having anxious tendencies as they get older because a lot of the fear of the dark and nighttime is having a fear of not being in control and not knowing what's out there and things like that. And what she talked about is that her daughter, her young daughter, had heard a story um, about a girl being kidnapped from her home. And the daughter started having a hard time sleeping because she was afraid that someone was going to come into the house and get her. And the woman reading the writing the book said, you know, I could have told her that that would never happen. But for a kid, like as kids, you are aware that you start to become aware that bad things can happen in the world. And I think sometimes the the impulse, understandably so, of the adults in, in your life is to say, you're going to be okay, that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And the problem is if you have the if you have the evidence that it could happen and a, an adult says to you it's not going to happen to you then you're sort of left her her argument was you're sort of left alone with that fear. And so what she and her daughter did instead was she said, you know, that probably won't happen, but if anyone ever did come into the house, there are some things you could do. You could make a lot of noise to wake up me and your dad. And, you know, sometimes when when kids have someone sneak in their house, um, the person tells them to be quiet, and so they're quiet. But the reality is if someone's sneaking into your house, they're probably scared too. They're scared of getting in trouble. And, you know, you might startle them. And she talks about how her daughter started sort of, like, thinking of things that she could do in her own room to sort of, like, be ready should this thing happen. And it wasn't like a, it was, and she said that in, it was not like a super extreme thing, but what she said was it, she could see that that made her daughter feel more calm. Sort of mm. the acknowledgement that her fear, while it would, was very unlikely, was a possibility. And, you know, just like not denying that the thing the person is afraid of is a valid thing to be afraid of. Right. And sort of saying, like, let's think of things you can do to feel more safe. And... I love that in this movie they build that machine, like you said, and it doesn't work because then, A, it teaches us this really good lesson about trying to find the solution within ourselves, but to the point that the um, blog was making, it sort of also speaks to the way that 
you know, Zoe and Larry didn't need a, a crazy machine to bring them back to normal. They just needed to be reminded of who they were. And it sort of, again, like speaks to that idea that as you get older, you might slip up and get kind of angry or get ir- irritable or say something you don't mean, but you can still get back to the person that you are. Yeah. Well, and that the, and just the, the idea that a boogeyman is created from an, an imaginary friend, not like all imaginary friends become boogie, boogie people, <laughs> a boogie person, boogie persons. Um, but that it happens when an imaginary friend is forgotten too soon or when a child like forgets them or leaves them behind too early. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's a really interesting distinction because, um, even at the end, Francis doesn't want them, doesn't want Zoe and Larry to leave. And she's like, well, like, why? I know, I, I know who you are now. Like, I don't have to. I don't want to stop talking to you. And they say, like, you know, like, at a certain point in your life, you have to, like, what do they say? They say real friends last forever. Like, your friend, um, I think her friend's name is, like, Joanne, uh, which is her friend from the beginning who lives next door. But they're, like, at a certain age, you can't have your imaginary friends anymore. You have to have, like, your real friends that, Mm -hmm. that last. Um, So I thought it was a really interesting choice that it's not... That it's not like all imaginary friends turn into boogie people when they, when they're not needed anymore. It's like they go and they find a new child to take care of, unless there's like a situation where they're forgotten too soon, or it's like the the kid needs them but isn't like acknowledging them or or using them or something like that. Like that in and mm-hmm. of itself is a really interesting choice, um, and just like. At the end, um, like, there's a couple lines during the last, like, fight and then afterwards where I think it's Larry says, when you grow up, sometimes you change. Mm -hmm. And then later he says, uh, remember, just because you're getting older doesn't mean you have to get old. Right. So it's like this this idea of, um, like, I really like this idea that you do change as you as you get older, um, but you can still hang on to, like, imagination or um, things that might not be as, like, rational as they love to repeat over and over and over again in this movie. Right. Um, it's like Frances' catchphrase in the beginning is like, there has to be a rational explanation for this. Yeah, um, she loves rationality and logic. They're her two favorite things. Yeah, those <laughs> are two favorite things. Um, but just that it's like, you know, that it's like you are going to get older and like that is okay. And that that's a good thing even, but just remember like, just because you're getting older doesn't mean you have to like lose your, your sense of wonder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like in, in, in essence, you can still maintain your inner, your inner child. You can still, you know, mm-hmm. she's not going to forget about Zoe and Larry so she can keep that part of her. Yeah. Even as she gets older. Um, well, Hannah, I think you've brought us to the perfect segue talk, a point to talk about what we've all been waiting for, which is the lovely, very sweet kiss between Ah. Larry and Fran (laughs) that happens at the end of the movie. Um, now as Hannah alluded to at the beginning of the recording, I assume this is what Hannah was alluding to. The character of Larry was not initially written to be a black character. 
but when Ty Hodges uh, auditioned, they loved him. And when they cast him, the um, the Disney Channel was not sure about keeping this kiss because they were worried about Southern markets having a problem with this interracial kiss at the end of the movie. And uh, Kenneth Johnson really had to lobby for this to stay in the movie. And I think the, the, the kiss is really important because Larry kisses her when they're trying to explain to her why she needs to grow up and why she doesn't need them anymore. And it feels like the kiss is when she realizes that, like, she is growing up. Um, it's this really cute moment where she's like, oh, yeah, maybe I'm not a kid anymore. And I think it's a really nice uh, lesson for her that, like, not everything is logical and rational. Like, I think she develops feelings for Larry, and when he kisses her, she's, like, that's a thing that she can't just kind of explain away. And so both of those things are sort of what sort of cement the transformation into her adulthood. Um, yeah, well, and I also think it's a little bit, like, you know, like, Zoe is trying to explain to her how being, how growing up can be good, too. Right. And he's like, let me take care of this. And then he, like, kisses her, and for all those reasons that, that you've said, and then also I think a little bit, it's, like, it's also a little bit, like, there's good parts of being grown up, too. Like, yeah, especially that age when you do get to, when you start having, like, crushes or, like, kisses and things like that mm-hmm. um that that's like such a oh it's so fucking cute it's such it a sweet so way cute. of like ushering her into like acceptance of this change that she's like going towards but in a but like after trying to kind of her going on this journey that's going to get her to approach things in a different way yeah, it is, like, I, I remember when Hannah suggested doing this movie, she was like, we we have to cover Don't Look Under the Bed because it's such a fun movie and because of how important Larry was in both of our sort of, like, sexual awakening. <laughs> and, like, not that we were inappropriate about this movie, but I think we both watched the, and it's funny because we are, we're, we, we are not the same age. We are four years apart. But I think, like, in very different ways, we both really, really latched on to his character and that kiss like when people talk about you know the can I keep you moment in Casper for me this kiss is like right up there with that as far as it's that's the sound of me passing out on my desk (laughs) (laughs) I was like Hannah what are you doing over there you're you have not muted yourself um (laughs) yeah it's just like such a sweet and and like it's such a beautiful moment that I think is also gonna play the same role for its uh viewers that it does for Fran where it was like oh maybe I am a little bit grown up (laughs) yeah you're like you're like oh do I have to pee or like am I a woman now (laughs) (laughs) like I wish Larry would kiss me that looks so nice yeah I remember like watching the movie when they would they when they would show it um for like the first like year or two after it premiered they would show it during, like, Disney's, like, uh, Halloween marathon. And I remember just, like, sitting on, like, the edge of the couch, like, waiting for the kiss. Like, right. here we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would never, I would never miss an airing of this movie when they did replay it for that exact reason. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because watching it as an adult, one of the few things I, one of the few specifics I remembered about the movie was the way I felt 
watching that scene. And so I was watching this movie while I was getting ready to do something last night. And I was kind of like putzing around in the kitchen and the kiss happened while I was like sort of putzing. So I turned around and I saw it and then I was like, no, no, no. I have to like really go back and watch it. So then I like rewound it and sat down. I was like, I just need to like be back in the moment, you know, of just like what it felt like to be like a young, a young tween or teenager and sort of be like, oh, wow. Yeah, I guess. Growing up is scary, but there are parts that are nice. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, too, like, there's always that aspect of, like, with Casper and um, this movie, Don't Look Under the Bed. Um, Also the movie Now and Then, if you've seen that one, which is another Christina Ricci and Devin Sawa movie. (gasps) What? Wait, are you not familiar with this, Sophie? How have I not been informed? Oh, I feel my as God. though everyone in my life has been letting me down. I am very upset. You will die. You will love it so much. That was a movie that um, I learned about at a sleepover in high school. And I was like, oh, my God. Um, it's well, a what I'm doing great tonight. movie. It's like, um, it's so many people, too. It's like Christina Ricci. Um, crap, what's her name? The, the girl who played... The daughter in Field of Dreams and Uncle Buck, and then grew up to be in um, Obvious Child. I can't think of her name off the top of my head. Oh my gosh, Gabby Hoffman. Yeah. Also, Demi Moore, Rosie O'Donnell. Yeah, so Laura they play Birch, Melanie Griffith. I am dying. They play the four of them. They play. They play the four. It's like four women as as like t- tweens and then as women. Yeah, it's great. Um, But I think that there's such an aspect of those of those movies where the the girl is like, um, you know, like not perfect or like not what we would have thought of as like ideal at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, And so just to be like a young like for me, like I was like a huge tomboy and I, I dressed like a boy completely um until I was in like eighth grade um and it was like something that I would always have people asking me like if I wanted to be a boy or like if like like constantly since I was like I don't even know probably like seven like other girls would like call me gay um yeah and I think like at a certain age I I had a lot of questions for myself where I was like I don't even know like where I am in all of that and what any of that means to me um but there was also a lot of like other people's opinions of it kind of being pushed on me or at me Mm -hmm. um in a way that I didn't understand and had a hard time processing as a kid um and so I think movies like this movie and like and like Casper where it's like the tomboy girl or like in this case it's just like a girl who is like very smart like a little no nonsense and like mm-hmm. um very rational just like that idea and then it's like that this like super amazing like boy is like can i keep you <laughs> or right, like exactly. i'll teach you how to be a woman <laughs> yeah it's like so meaningful and it definitely in, is. In a way. It definitely is. Since we are a horror podcast, Hannah, is there any if you had to pick one sort of scare or scene from this movie that is the most 
iconic or interesting to you, what would you pick? Um, I have to say I think that the bird behind her in science class is actually really scary. For or sure. when Darwin gets pulled under the bed. Because yeah, I, I remember mean, that being real scary when I was a kid. <laughs> definitely. And the one I had, uh, I was so nervous that you were going to pick the same one as me, and I'd have to think of something else. So thank goodness you didn't. Mine is, and if you watch Disney Channel at all growing up, you would have seen this clip in, like, every promo for Halloween. Is uh, it the collar? No, it's when Darwin's <laughs> in the sock and the boogie's nail comes through oh, yeah. and almost impales him. I always remember from the promos the part where Francis is like, I'm not scared anymore. And the boogeyman's like, oh, really? And then his, like, collar turns into, like, tentacles, basically. Yes. Yeah, and he goes like... Something. <laughs> Super creepy. Um, I also just realized, sorry, I'll, very quickly, another good moment um, or good example of foreshadowing is that when Francis is still sort of, like, in denial about Larry's existence and... And, like, she still thinks he's, like, hypnotizing people. That's her rational explanation. Yeah. Um, but he's also had a moment where, like, his eyes flashed purple and, like, there's some allusion to the boogeyman, like, his transformation. Um, she takes a shower and he appears in the mirror as a, in, like, a scuba outfit and he c- climbs through the shower or climbs through the mirror Later on, she is leaving her room and, like, the boogeyman reaches through her mirror after her. Oh, very interesting. So I wonder if that was purposeful to also, like, allude to the fact that he was, you know, like, crossing right, in between, between. worlds. Yeah. That's very cool. I did not notice that. I, like, just thought of it, so <laughs> you're welcome. Well, Hannah, how, on our very, very prestigious patent-pending review system, would you rate... Don't look under the bed on a scale of one to five Bloody Marys. I mean, I don't know if this is just because I've been inside for like three weeks, three and a half weeks, however long it's been. (laughs) Um, Or I'm just getting, you know, like nostalgic in my quarantine. But I think I'm going to give this movie my first five glass reveal because I just had I just love it so much and I had such a good time watching it and reliving it for myself and it was like watching it I was like I hope that one day like I could still find this somewhere (laughs) to like Mm -hmm. show it to like my kids and um I just love 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 this movie so I and then reading about it too um and some of the information behind it and especially that the writer-director, like, fought to keep the kiss in at the end. Um, All that just makes me, like, have so much more love and respect for it. So I'm going to go ahead and give it five Bloody Marys, all of which have a skewer with pickles and olives in them. I love it. I love it. Um, At the risk of being mocked by my younger sister, Hannah. I would never. How dare you? I am going to give this movie a full five pots of boogie goo Mm. that's right ladies and gentlemen it is my (laughs) one millionth five uh insert container here rating i keep i maintain that we just haven't watched anything bad yet so uh we'll uh we'll get back to you next week and maybe i'll give something uh lower than a four we'll see but like sophie i feel like saying it's five things of boogie goo makes it sound like you hate it because that boogie goo was disgusting 
I don't know. Larry liked it. <laughs> That's because he was Even turning into a boogeyman. Sophie. But he wasn't. But he wasn't a full boogie yet. Wait and... a minute. What if Sophie is my imaginary friend that I was supposed to forget a really long time ago, but I still have it, and now she's turning into a boogie person. Wow, this is uh, dark, and I don't know how to feel about the suggestion that I am I exist solely to be your imaginary friend. What was the purpose of my life before you were born? <laughs> I mean, I've never seen you in the same room with you before I was born, so how can I be sure it really exists? Wait, what? Yeah, you, yeah, you heard me. You've never seen anyone in the same room as themselves. Um, you know, you don't know. Quarantine's really getting to Hannah. I've Uh, done a lot of mushrooms. I'm just kidding. (laughs) This week, uh, we're going to do something a little different for In Lady or News, sort of similar to what we did last week. I have been, for the most part, uh, avoiding traditional news outlets because there's just a lot going on right now. And for my own personal self-care, it's best that I don't go digging through Twitter to find us news to share. So what I'm going to share instead, sort of in the same vein as our recommendation last week, is I want to recommend a website called arealnicelady.com. Their mission, they're a pretty new website. Their mission is to be your source for women-owned businesses and ladies who are doing their part to make the world a little bit nicer. We are hardworking without being hard on ourselves, not confined to boxes, more focused on community than competition. It's a really neat website. When they launched, they interviewed a female horror director from here in KC named Jill Six, who uh, I'm a big fan of. She's done a lot of really cool shorts. So you can check out her interview on A Real Nice Lady's website. They also have some pretty cool merch, including a black crew neck sweater that says free boobin in case you need something to stay warm in your apartment while you are presumably <laughs> not wearing a bra during this quarantine. Um, so please check out A Real Nice Lady. They are highlighting women who are doing really interesting things and uh, helping female creatives sort of get their voices and products out there. And we here at 28 Days Lady love that kind of um, If you want to get in touch with us at the show, you can find us on Twitter. We are at 28dayslady underscore er. We actually do have a tweet from a listener that I wanted to share because I don't think Hannah knows this yet, and it might be fun to get her live reaction on air. Hannah, I don't know if you... I don't like this. You're conspiring against me with listeners? You'll be good. You'll be good. Are you ready? We received a text or a tweet today from at PS Trophy Hunter, friend of the show, that says, hey, at 28 Days Later, you see this BS yet? And it's an article from Variety from this afternoon saying that Night of the Hunter remake is in the works at Universal. What? Mm-hmm. Does it say anything about who's attached? Uh, I can pull up the article if you'd like. Mm. How do you feel about the prospect of them remaking Night of the Hunter? I am dubious. Extremely dubious. It just I, feels like uh, that's a pretty great movie, so just watch that movie. Just leave it alone. Yeah, I mean, it's like part of what makes that movie so amazing is just what they did with the technology that they had and like the way that they, oh, just like the forced perspective in so much of that movie is amazing. I don't need that now to be done in a different way. Yeah, I'm in the same, I'm in the same boat. Um... Let's see. I am not seeing anything about 
casting. So we will keep you posted as that news gets posted. But thank you um, at PS Trophy Hunter for the heads up because we didn't know about it. I would also say I would also say that um, I think it's been like four or five years since Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio announced together that they were going to make The Devil in the White City into a movie with Leonardo DiCaprio. So just because they tell you they're going to do it doesn't mean they're going to do it. So that, you know that is true. Hold on to hope that <laughs> it that just won't happen. happen. <laughs> uh. Conversely, I would love it if Devil in the White City was made into a movie. Oh, I know. Although I don't need Leonardo DiCaprio to play H.H. Holmes because, sorry, bro, but you're too old. Woof. Hot takes over here. Uh, So you can tweet at us and we might read it on the show. You can also email us. Our account is 28dayslatier at gmail.com. I think that about does it for us this week, Hannah. What do you say? I say... And don't forget to always pee after sex. Oh, right. I for, I, you know what? I forget that we're going to say that now. Or 